0: Hello and welcome to Up Close and Classical, I'm Philip Lenberg. This episode continues our journey through late 19th century France, and focuses primarily on a composer that kind of bridged the gap between the 19th and the 20th century, certainly in France, and really had ripples that echoed through uh, the history of music, even today. Debussy was nine years old when insurrectionists took Paris for two months in 1871. They were fighting against a return to monarchical rule in the aftermath of the Franco-Prussian War. It was a volatile time and place, and the arts had never been more active. The musical life in Paris at this time reflected the mood in the city, growing trends and ideas examining politics, industry, economics, nationalism, tradition, convention, rebellion, rapid change, questions of identity. These were all in the air and the water, these seemingly contrasting ideas of old and new continually resurface in the music of both Debussy and Ravel. Their aesthetics look back to music of the Middle Ages and indigenous music of the Middle East and Far East, making new music sound newer. One of the predominant influences on Debussy's musical style was the infamous composer Richard Wagner. Musicologist Edward Lockspizer wrote that in addition to Wagner's musical influences, his philosophies about art, and I quote, encouraged artists to refine upon their emotional responses and to exteriorize their hidden dream states, often in a shadowy, incomplete form. ideas of what would soon be termed the subconscious, of embracing growing ambiguity, individualism, a kind of Bacchanalian sensuality, exoticism slash otherness, were all over the place in literature, art, dance, and the music as we approach the turn of the century. Look at just a handful of literature from the 1890s. Themes of the subconscious, otherness, and identity are all at the heart of works like Oscar Wilde's Salome, which is the only work he ever wrote originally in French, The Jungle Book, Sherlock Holmes, Bram Stoker's Dracula, War of the Worlds, Heart of Darkness. Kate Chopin wrote The Story of An Hour and The Awakening, which were pivotal early feminist works. Alice Ruth Moore was the first African-American woman to publish a book of short stories. Paul Lawrence Dunbar would become one of the most influential African-American writers. Also in the 1890s, the first country to ever grant women the right to vote and establish a legal minimum wage was new zealand san francisco state university uc san francisco dominican university stanford uc santa barbara caltech they were all founded in the 1890s for context 1891 carnegie hall opened with tchaikovsky conducting his own pieces Ellis Island opens as an immigration station. I thought these were timely. The virus was discovered. Voting machines were approved for US federal elections. Some of the many pieces written in the 1890s include Puccini's La Boheme, Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Ballet, Richard Strauss's Thus Spoke Zarathustra, john philip souza's stars and stripes forever edward elgar's enigma variations scott joplin's maple leaf rag dvorak's new world symphony literature of the time played such an important role in the musical life of parisian composers one of Debussy's most well-known and influential pieces is based on a poem by Stéphane Mallarmé, a prolific Parisian English teacher. The poem, titled Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn, embodies all those aforementioned ideas about the subconscious, ambiguity of form and meaning, focus on the self, sensuality, sexuality, exoticism and otherness, It's those aspects Debussy seemed to identify with the most. The famous French conductor and composer Pierre Boulez described Prelude to the Afternoon of a Faun as the beginning of modern music. Debussy was 32 years old when Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn premiered in Paris in 1894. This piece echoes recurring images and ideas from the poem, like water, memory, gossamer dreaminess, ambiguity, colors, uh, freedom from traditional structures, or expectations. The conventions of the time needed to be bent in order to form to the new ways in which Debussy was expressing ideas. With the continuing expansion of French and other European colonies into Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, Parisians were exposed to peoples and cultures previously too far away with which to interact. Paris hosted their fourth World's Fair in 1889, both to celebrate the centennial of the storming of the Bastille, and also to show off to the world how far-reaching France was. It was during this six-month exposition where debussy was exposed to indigenous music from vietnam and indonesia he spoke of his deep respect and fascination with the gamelan an indigenous indonesian orchestra made up of a variety of gongs and other percussion instruments sometimes including a flute and a singer the complexity of rhythms Combinations of new sounds, absence of any traditional Western concept of key or structure, these were all incredibly appealing and really revelatory for Debussy. The first of three movements from his 1903 piano piece Estampes, which means prince, like engravings, prints, is a pretty clear nod to this kind of music. The first movement is named Pagodas, and it incorporates Debussy's realization, from his perspective, of the gamelan from the fair. You can hear how he uses the piano to emulate low, repetitive drones in the beginning. And then he incorporates scales in Western tradition that are as closely related as possible to what a gamelan orchestra uses. This is one of the first pieces that really uses the piano as a percussion instrument. And this idea of piano as percussion greatly influenced the music of Maurice Ravel, as well as other names like Igor Stravinsky, Bella Bartok, Francis Poulenc, John Cage, the list goes on. The second movement of Estamp is called A Night in Granada. Debussy is really able to take advantage of the exoticism or otherness of two cultures. He starts the piece with a rhythm distinctly associated with Spanish music, called the habanera. The provenance of this rhythm is up for debate. But that idea of habanera as Spanish music was solidified with Georges Bizet's opera Carmen.
1: Bizet had also tried
0: to incorporate this fashionable fascination with the Middle East as exotic with the opera he wrote just before Carmen. Though it didn't reach the popularity of Carmen, Jamila, from the word for beautiful in Arabic, was a favorite and inspirational opera for composers like Gustav Mahler and Richard Strauss. Bizet's musical representation of the Middle East, though not accurate in any way whatsoever, points more toward the perceived dissonance and otherness of the setting to a French audience. Bizet writes short, abrupt, and unusual gestures with uh, short chromatic lines through the woodwinds. The idea of chromaticism in music to signify some kind of otherness, foreignness, exoticism, was not new, And, and it was in fact a trope that had been used often through European eyes to describe people or places outside of Europe. Jamila never had a very successful run, and pales in comparison to the popularity of Bizet's Carmen. There is a more well-known reference to Middle Eastern music through the eyes of another 19th century French composer who lived a very long life over a, a span of incredible world changes. He was born in Paris in 1835, And he passed away in Algiers in 1921,
1: 1835 to 1921.
0: He was... Very well-traveled, very well-read, and he preferred to spend his time away from Paris in North Africa. That was from the opera Samson and Delilah by French composer Camille Saint-Saens. Debussy's A Night in Granada also incorporates references to Middle Eastern music. and In Debussy's case, rather than use chromaticism as a way to signify something from another place or another culture, Debussy alters one of the Western scales of European music to mimic the system of tuning and scales in much of of middle eastern music and that paired with the spanish reference points directly to granada as a southern spanish city with a history of muslim life and debussy does this so seamlessly and thoughtfully puts this together he puts you right in the center of the city just within the first couple bars Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn premiered in 1894, Ravel was 19 years old, just four years into his nearly 15-year student career at the Paris Conservatoire. He was there from 1889, from the age of 14, to 1905, at the age of 30. Five years after the Fawn was premiered, Ravel published one of his first solo instrumental pieces, Pavon for a Dead Princess. of the piece helped spread the word about Ravel and his music, though he was not so fond of the piece himself. The themes of Asian and Middle Eastern exoticism in France carried over to Ravel's music too. When Ravel was 25 years old, in the year 1900, he submitted a piece to the Prix de Rome competition. and He didn't win with this piece, nor any other piece. He was one of the, the most famous French composers that did not receive a Prix de Rome. He wrote a piece called Les Bayadères, set in a Hindu temple. Ravel was born in Basque country, right on the border between France and Spain, at the foot of the Pyrenees Mountains. He was born there, his mother was Basque, and so he grew up hearing folk songs, traditional Basque and Spanish songs. His father was also an amateur musician and is said to have given Ravel his first lessons. Accents of Spanish-style music appear throughout Ravel's life. The sound is unmistakable and so vividly captures sounds of Spanish music through a French-tinged lens. The music itself sounds Spanish, but Ravel's brilliance as an orchestrator electrifies the piece in such a way that transports you into a vast Spanish sound Vell was a prolific composer who wrote in a wide array of genres and settings, including music for the theatre. He wrote a piece called Mother Goose Suite, recently performed by the Symphony of the Redwoods in 2019. The piece was originally written as a piano four hands version, so two pianists at one piano, piano four hands, and a year later was orchestrated by Ravel. was then repurposed into a ballet with mostly transitional music added between the main movements. The Mother Goose Suite is a set of five short tableaus. They're charming and clever and full of colorful orchestra effects that describe the stories of their titles. Each movement has an inscription on the top of the first page with a few sentences from the fairy tale he is musically describing. Ravel's fascination with the music of the Far East surfaces in the third movement, titled Little Ugly One, Empress of the Pagodas, the first page of this movement has this excerpt from the fairy tale at the top of the page. She undressed and got into the bath. Immediately the toy mandarins and mandarinesses began to sing and play instruments. Some had theorbos made from walnut shells, some had viols made from almond shells, for the instruments had to be of a size appropriate to their own. fourth movement, Conversations Between Beauty and the Beast, starts with this line from the story. When I think of your good heart, you do not seem so ugly. Oh, I should say so. I have a good heart, but I am a monster. There are many men who are more monstrous than you. If I were witty, I would pay you a great compliment to thank you, but I am only a beast." As this dance dialogue continues, it runs into a few uneven phrases, insecurely dancing, but continuing to try. As the waltz progresses, the strong beats one normally feels in a waltz, one, two, three, one, two, three, become more ambiguous. Soon enough, the beast's heavy-footed, offbeat plodding is out in the open. Ravel gives voice to the Beast with a contrabassoon which is one of the lowest ranged and reedy sounding instruments in orchestral music. You can hear the awkward footsteps, confused stopping and grumbling from the contrabassoon as the beast continues to try and join the beauty in an increasingly frenzied climax, leading back to a more uh, partnered dance than the beginning of the movement. It returns to the opening material, but it now includes the Beast along with Beauty. The movement ends with a very slick resolution from pretty strong dissonance to consonance, describing the beast's transformation into a prince. The Mother Goose suite ends with the fifth movement, called the Fairy Garden. This is the one movement in the suite that does not have text at the top of the page. And it's also the movement that does not have a very clear connection to any Mother Goose uh, fairy tale. It is a sublime movement, and it is such a beautiful way to end the suite. I can't help but wrap up this episode with that piece.
1: Hi, I'm Laura. And
0: I'm Paul in Redwood Valley.
1: My family are symphony subscribers. Please consider supporting orchestral music in Mendocino County by visiting symphonyoftheredwoods.org and ukiahsymphony.org, as well as social media pages including Facebook and Instagram.
0: This show is produced in partnership with Symphony of the Redwoods and the Ukiah Symphony Orchestra. Join Join us us next next month for another another episode of Up Close close and classical. Classical.